Ladies and gentlemen, you know her most recently as the voice of the freelancer from Anthem, Katie Greenbrier from Gone Home, and in the real world, she's the co-founder of GameDev.World, following a long career as an advocate for game industry workers. Sarah El Male, how you doing? I'm did good. Did I get that right? You totally did. Hell you yeah. totally okay, did. Okay. Very impressive. It was that one IGN video mm -hmm. up, and I was like, I gotta, I gotta get this right. People, <laughs> nice. people get my name wrong too, Noob, K-N-O-O-P, right. uh, yeah. and I've been living a lie because there's a lot of Dutch developers who say, no, it's, it's Knop, and I'm like... Oh, no. cool, nice. I'm sure mine is the same way. It's probably like El Melech or something. El Melech? It's you know, Sephardic Jewish from Morocco. Oh, so. cool, wow. Yeah. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, first off, how's your GDC going? It's good. It's chock-a-block. A little bit, little bit busy. Chock-a-block. Yeah. I've never heard that word. Isn't that fun? It's sort of onomatopoeic. It's, uh, yeah, it's... it's Packed, we shall say. Okay. Packed. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, like, my, this is my fifth GDC, and uh, mm. I, I, it is one of my favorite events, but that doesn't come without a, a lot of uh, you know setbacks for the people trying to make their, their careers here work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was really, really impressed to see that uh, we're here to talk about GameDev.World mostly today. Uh, a, you are the co-founder of that along with Rami Ismail. Mm -hmm. uh, first off, what is, what is GameDev.World? So GameDev.World is a live-streamed conference. It'll be between June 21st and 23rd of this year. That's depending on time zones, mm -hmm. as you'll find yeah. out, which is real, right, in this case. Um, yeah, so it will be talks streamed uh, or given in eight of the most commonly spoken languages of, you know, in the world mm -hmm. and then translated back out, back out into those eight languages. Um, and it will be free. So anyone with an internet connection can be part of it and can hear from hear perspectives from game developers from around the world. So we're really excited. And, and it, it, it seemed like the net, Rami told me that he'd been working on it for like, I think at least three years. Mm -hmm. uh, but I remember last year, uh, the he hosted the One Reason to Be panel with mm -hmm. a bunch of other like marginalized uh, game developers from uh, forgotten countries, you mm -hmm. know, uh, that aren't typically represented at an event like GDC. And the story I, he and I will tell is that uh, there was the wall outside one of the entrances saying like the game industry from around the world. Put right. a little red dot from where you yes. are, and of course like lots of uh, North America, so a little bit of South America, right. uh, a lot of Europe, a lot of Asia. Yeah. And he put that picture up on like his, his yes. big projector and said that is not the game industry around the world. Right. That is the people who can afford to come to GDC. This is true. And that seems to be the uh, biggest and most obvious criticism of, mm -hmm. a of an event like the Game Dev Conference. So why does the game industry need something like GameDev.World right now? My gosh. I mean, it's. I think Rami would speak to it even better, having been m even more boots on the ground in these emerging territories and, and other communities than I have been. Mm -hmm. um, I would love to have the opportunity to go meet them face-to-face. -face. Um, but there are fascinating, vibrant... Um, you know, largely self-directed communities making games from around the world, finding new solutions to things, being moved to tell maybe slightly different stories because of what interests them and what their experiences are. Um, and I'm just a huge believer that, that the medium itself grows when everyone is kind of spoken for and to. Um, so I just can't even imagine kind of like just on a medium level what kinds of games are coming out of these places or what kinds of games could come out of these places, how people in other places would be affected and inspired by those things. Mm -hmm. um, and then just the lives of the people there who are eager to participate in this medium or already doing it that we're barely aware of and could learn from or help or both in, in both directions really. Um, so Rami's main kind of 
point or that that is that or one of his points that I take from that from the one reason to be panel in his in, as he's been shepherding it because um, it had a different life before he took it over right mm-hmm. um, is just making sure that the you know the the conversation around diversity in the game space has improved and and grown and been very foregrounded actually in the last few years which is wonderful but our definition of it has been a, a little bit more limited so we've seen discussions of gender inclusivity and and um, and sexual orientation and ethnicity and and all these things but largely locked in in the English speaking um, in English as a language Mm -hmm. so um, so yeah so just making sure that that diversity that notion of diversity continues to expand in all vectors and forms um, is the is the reason but to me it's it's as much about involving the people these these real humans in the conversation and also about the art I see it as art you know I see games as art um, that we would receive and the things that we could have the nice things that we could have if yeah. we, you know that all of us like, could have you, you think about like the, the, the one of the biggest problems in indie uh, game development is discoverability yeah. uh, even here in like English speaking countries right. it's, it's right. almost impossible unless you get like really really lucky you're right. a diamond in the rough think about how much worse exactly. it must be for a non-English speaking country to branch on I just talked with yeah. I just talked with um, um, Mark Venturelli, who is uh, part of the Relic Hunters team and part of the like Brazilian game industry scene, mm. and he was talking a lot about how, uh, like, where here in like North America, you have the the burnout problem of developers leaving by the time they're like thirty five or yeah. so because they say, "Screw this! I want to I want to have a family. Yes, I can't afford that yeah. right now." That's another vector uh, of diversity is age and experience, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of ageism, but mm-hmm. also uh, in Brazil, their problem is. Uh, the the unless there, there's a few veterans, but like a lot of the better people from the Brazilian dev industry get scooped up and taken to North America. Right. Uh, so yeah, like tell me tell me a little bit more. Um, one of one of the or no, the, at, at an event like GDC, mm. there's different tracks of talks. There's you know more technical production kind of sides. There's advocacy talks, mm-hmm. which are re- usually really popular mm. uh, attendance wise anyway. And uh, there's business talks and whatnot. What kinds of topics and subjects do the developers that GameDev.World is serving, what kinds of advice do they need to hear? Um, folks, so, so advice that the developers who would be tuning in would want to hear or, or just like people what, submitting? What, or what? what kind of talks would GameDev.World, would they be like, here's how to Often. program, here's how to, here's how to uh, market your game, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So there's, um, I think we're really focused at least this time around on games, or excuse me, on talks that are that speak to the discipline and the craft of making a game itself. Um, when you start to get into biz dev talks or marketing talks and discoverability and how to tackle that really practically, that can have that may runs a risk of having a higher variability elsewhere in the world so the the application of it or the universal relevance of it might change so we're looking anything that has that kind of high range where like this piece of advice applies here but not here that starts to be a little bit more complicated okay. so things that are that are kind of as widely applicable takeaways that you can have um, about making lovely games is kind of what we're focused on for this time around. That's not to say that those kinds of talks would be um, not included, but we'd be looking at it for from that perspective of like, does this serve as many people as possible, and is is the context too variable to be useful? And that that seems like a good idea because like there's uh, there's obviously cultural barriers and mm-hmm. and uh, misunderstandings to to overcome. Uh, what you're you're known for your work as a like industry advocate. You've been oh. involved. Oh, <laughs> am I? <laughs> uh, well, you, you, you've you've organized with GDC, Indiecade, uh, mm-hmm. Screen Actors Guild, and the uh, yeah. Indie Games Fest. Like, what what made you want to have such a huge role, or at least spend a lot of your time mm-hmm. uh, uh, advocating for people in the industry in various ways? Um, I think it's it's very compulsive. Like, I think voiceover is very like 
therapeutic for me and it's kind of how I express myself or seem, feel seen and, and, you know, real in the world. And so there's, there's a lot, I don't know, it's not quite selfish, but it, it feels kind of more self-oriented. And all these other things, um, you know, sort of initiatives or, or, or activities, I guess, are kind of like out of this compulsive need to see something that feels missing. So it's kind of just a reflex of like, oh, these people should be talking to each other. It's usually in this theme, the advocacy, the ambassadorship. It's always like, I feel like these, this community has so much to share with that community and they should be talking to each other. So ways of facilitating communication and relationship building and, um, and, and kind of with that eye toward lifting the entire medium as a result is kind of the through line. But it's always like a weird reflex. Like I don't see myself as gifted at advocacy. I'm not like, sure. I'm sort of an organized person. I'm kind of sort of not. So if it means like, anything, I don't see know. myself as gifted at being a journalist or a podcast host. <laughs> but hey. Yeah, it's like not my forte. Like I feel like like I've, I've worked years on removing imposter syndrome from the voiceover booth. Oh, and now yeah. it's like pretty fun and chill, which I really love. But, um, but organizing, I always feel a little bit underwater. And it's just the only thing that kind of keeps me doing it is the idea that like it should happen. And, I don't, and, and someone better than me doesn't seem to be doing it. Or someone better than yeah. me isn't available. So I should just try. No, I, I get that because like that's that's in effect. I'm, I've been a freelance journalist for probably like four years now, full time for a whole year now, and uh, that has always been for features that I have to write anyway. It's like, what's a story that I can tell uh, that no one seems to have noticed yet, mm. and and like ideally, I'm sharing a part of the game community, be it dev or or culture side, and giving my readers or listeners something to to think about as they go further and say like. Okay, now that I know that exists, I really want to seek that out and like become a part of it in hmm. some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, like as a voice actor, yeah. you you've got to hustle. Like, yeah. the, like ninety percent of the job is hustle and auditions mm-hmm. and uh, it's true. connecting with like agents and whatnot. So mm-hmm. that had to have like played a role in uh, you understanding the the struggle of working in the game industry and probably wanting to help people out, right? Yeah, I think. Well, it also just sort of made it. Let's see. I mean, I took an unusual path into game voiceover. So I, many, yeah, many, many actors kind of fall into it sideways from animation or from on camera. Um, I kind of, I, I grew up playing games, and I and I fell in love with radio drama in college, and and speaking of which, you oh, were yeah. in Codename Cygnus. I was, right? uh, yeah. I, I played that not that long ago, no and kidding. also I replayed Gone Home, uh, so Aww. I got to rehear Katie Greenberg. There so, she is. Yeah. She's probably pretty close to how I sound. She's like a very perky version of, but not overly energetic. I actually nah, listened yeah. to it. Yeah, she's yeah. just pretty. She's actually pretty, she's pretty chill. chill. Yeah. Um, sorry to interrupt. Keep, no, that's keep fine. Going. Yeah, no, uh, no. I love I love radio drama, and actually, um, the Claxo Radio Hour is another interactive radio drama mm-hmm. that's on the second floor of Must. Gunny West. It's a radio. It's a real life radio. Need to go over to um, that, yeah. I'm so happy to see them doing well. Uh, and then Earplay was here, and I missed their talk. It sounded amazing on how, on, on their Jack Ryan game being like an invisible escape room, which sounds so oh my God. so cool. I know, right? Like I love them. They're I attended amazing. their I attended their last uh, one, like I think a year or two ago, about mm. uh, the, the detective uh, experience, mm. the Sherlock Holmes experience. Mm. That was really awesome. Yeah, they're fantastic, and and I can't. I can't speak highly enough of them as, as collaborators who've like stayed in touch with me over the years and been interested in working together again. Like they, they are so sweet and they, they also, you know, um, made it a point to kind of build and scale in order to, be, to become union to work with me in the field. I mean, they're, they're, they're phenomenal human beings. I love them and I love their work. Um, anyway, so I did radio dramas in college yeah. and, um, and I was in New York and I loved doing theater, but I didn't enjoy auditioning for theater very much. Um, and so I, at one, at some point I just had this epiphany of like, well, I love games 
games and voiceover auditions are fun and chill compared to other kinds of things. So I just focused from that point on on, on trying to crack into games work. Um, but I was in the wrong city. I was in New York. Um, and there's Rockstar there, and they hire a lot of actors for projects at a time. But it's not really like a sustainable, busy yeah, activity space. Um, so I my approach was to go to conferences like GDC and follow folks on Twitter and get involved in the conversation on Twitter. And there was kind of this feedback loop of like meeting someone at GDC and staying touch on, in touch on Twitter or meeting them kind of like bantering on Twitter and then following up and meeting them as a human at GDC. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that path of like indies first, which is unusual, is like indie games first. Because the folks at GDC, I was having a hard time finding other, this is like another cultural barrier, right? Is audio has its own past, mm-hmm. has its own community here. Somewhere in there is maybe a handful of voiceover folks. I'm one of like maybe five voice actors that I ever see here. Um, or that, know I was going to ask like GDC yeah. never seems like a thing Mm-mm. that like voice actors uh, or or no. there there is audio. Yeah, there's there's plenty of audio, but it's mm. never like the performance art side. Not really. I know, and that's like that's another drum that I bang really yeah. hard and loud. I went to my my friend Julie Nathanson gave a talk with um, Eve. I'm going to get her name wrong. Eve from ArenaNet, okay. <laughs> at the risk okay. of mispronouncing her name. She's wonderful. Um, did a talk on collaborative voiceover practices, and I was like, Hosanna. Like, this is amazing. Like, what? This content never seems to come through. Um, so I think it might be shifting. And every year I, I bring more, you, you know, actors union folks here. The, the SAG after contracts reps are running around making relationships, which makes me happy. And um, But yes, but historically it's been, I was sort of disheartened to find that there weren't many other folks like me here back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a result, I was mostly meeting developers and the folks who touched voiceover um, for their game were the indies because the bigger folks use the traditional voiceover pipeline and agencies and stuff. So the folks I was able to connect with that actually had, were in a position to cast me were all these indie devs. Mm-hmm. So for years I was building relationships with other indie developers and, and some AAA developers and, and folks of like minds who were giving these beautiful talks here. Um, so yeah, so that path, my path through VO was weird enough and unusual that it that I came out of it with this network Work of really beloved, you know, like-minded, creative, inspiring folks, um, and so that kind of led into the advocacy and like helped my desire to connect people is built on that those years of building that community in my life and and thinking of folks who should be talking to each other and and, beca- and coming to events that I was immensely grateful to I mean like Indicate I started helping because it meant the world to me Indicate to me was like some of my favorite folks from GDC but like in a smaller little area giving student talks and showing these great games. Indicate is a, a wonderful conference for my exact kind of favorite, my jam, totally my jam of like games that are, that look different, non, not just digital games, but board games and LARPs and all kinds of things. So they've been, they've been on the sort of cross-disciplinary, cross-pollinating tip for a really long time, which has meant a lot to me. So just giving back to Indicate was a reason for that. Mm-hmm. So the advocacy came out of like, loving events, wanting to give back to them, and then having this network of people and having ideas about who should be talking to each other that isn't. Um, and then just sort of deciding hubristically that I should be the person to do that. <laughs> uh, sometimes you guys say, damn it, I'm, I'm going to do it. That's, that's... I, just, I should try. And someone else can totally take it and do it better and call me out. And that's, they're welcome to do it. You know? I, I tell this story uh, fairly often, but I, I co-founded a games journalism uh, outlet at my college in Indiana because mm. yeah, they only had like a legacy newspaper, a magazine, and a like TV program. And it was like, here's where all the potholes are tonight, kind of, you know, gen- generic news. <laughs> that's awesome. And, and I was like, you know, this... That's a Twitter I, I would follow, pothole yeah. coverage, just like pure pothole it coverage. Might ex- it might exist. <laughs> that would be great. Uh, but we we grew that from like two to 20 people in like a year because there was a small community that like needed to be served and it just mm. wasn't happening. Mm. And uh, th- that was one of the like biggest struggles of my entire life, just like being able to like trying to 
help people in the way that they needed to be helped. And yeah. uh, we, we talk a lot about networking and like meeting up with like indie developers mm. and, and uh, establishing work connections like that. Uh, GameDev.World is a digital like game conference. Yeah. And for the myriad of, of uh, complications and shortcomings that GDC has, people will still be pretty confident saying like, well, at least you'll meet a lot of really interesting people. So mm. do you guys have any uh, plans or like strategies as far as like not getting people in the same chat room, I right. suppose, you yeah. know? I mean, it's, I, I don't, I think people like to frame them as pitted against each other and I see them as and more complimentary. I, and that's why, like, um, I, I think you guys did a really smart thing mm. scheduling it for like maybe two months after GDC, mm-hmm. right? Because like that way it doesn't look like, you know, either one's trying to step on each other's toes because yeah. it, the, both can exist. Yeah, both, totally. Both, both should exist. Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel very passionately about people being able to meet in person and the kind of connection. I mean, I think like voiceover, I think in terms of resolution of data of like, this is so wonky. Let's see if this makes sense. Um, that like human data, like we build connections with each other based on kind of the, the richness of the data we have about what we're fe- thinking and feeling at a moment. And mm-hmm. human beings are very matching humans. Like you're, I will match your energy instinctively. This is actually part of Julie's wonderful talk about voice direction um, with voiceover artists. Like if you're directing an actor, be energetic and we'll yeah. feel excited. Yeah. If you're sad and bored, we'll be confused and self-doubting and low energy. Um, but so human beings, I think, really thrive on really high resolution data from each other. And that's why texting tone is confusing and why you know um, being in person gives you so much more information about how a conversation is going. Mm-hmm. So like I, I do care very much about those. The, the relationship kind of potential in, in getting people face to face but when that's not feasible something else needs to happen and there are also really beautiful relationships that happen online I mean for years I felt more connected to my games Twitter friends who are around the world via Twitter and mm-hmm. just kind of the nuggets and little insights windows into each other's brains that we were getting in this format um, than I was had access to in my real life community so I, I think these things are um, are very complimentary, and, and we'll see. I mean, it would be cool. GameDev.World is really, I see it, and I think Rami sees it the same way, as, as a mission. And that mission is just to solve, the, to break down these barriers. And, and how that, as that problem evolves, the solutions will have to evolve too. And so we'll see kind of what shapes it starts to take and if we can tackle something like that or not. Um, but yeah, but I see it as all just kind of like chewing away at an, what is this? How you eat an elephant? What is it? Eat an elephant one bite at a time? Oh, I've never heard what, that in my yeah, life. Yeah, I was like, what's the, what's the parable? Whatever. You do something one bite at a time. Yeah. I think you probably do anything food related one bite at a one time. One bite at a time. So, hopefully, hopefully, yeah. yeah. So, World, one bite at a time. <laughs> I think, you know. Yeah, and that reminds me a lot of, uh, I, I recently had uh, Emma Kinema, co-founder yes. of Game Workers Unite on the podcast. Amazing and, human. It uh, was, a, was a great talk. And the, one of the things I was most struck about was her saying that, uh, uh, GWU probably won't ever provide like an umbrella solution to the myriad of problems that the game industry faces. Right. And she was really adamant about like all this needs to happen at like a grassroots level. Yes. uh, Conversation to conversation, person to person, like two people across the table. Yeah. Because that's where the real like motivational change happens and, and someone says like wait well, how much are you paid or like you mm-hmm. know, hey, are you also dealing with the same like right. boss and his or her issues yeah uh, and so I mean like, let, let's talk a little bit about like unions or like or pro, sure. pro worker power yeah uh, do you think an event like GDC 
with all its like uh, sponsorships and various entanglements, is it mm. is it a conducive in, in, conducive environment for such discussions? Uh, it's taken us years to get where we are now mm-hmm. with groups like GWU hosting. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they've effectively like doubled or tripled their presence here this year. Which yes, is rad. Which is amazing. Uh, yeah, and a lot of progress was only in that last year. What what yes. will GameDev.World be doing? Will GameDev.World be doing anything to kind of like foster pro worker sentiment mm. like that? Um. So I, I, one the answer to that last one is I'm not prepared to talk about our programming yet as sure. far as talks and stuff. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not there yet, but I I will say that it's an, an issue and a cause that's kind of close to both Rami and my heart. Mm-hmm. So it would be, again, because it's we're looking at talks that have a, a maximum applicability across the world and the nature that we've just covered about mm-hmm. game, you know, GWU needing to kind of be on a, on a, an ad hoc grassroots basis. I'm not sure how that'll work yet. So it's, it's, I'm not, it's a little too early to talk about that, but I think, um, but we do both care about it very much. Um, I, I, you know, worked really hard to bring SAG-AFTRA organizers to the, the round table last year, and they've been fantastic. They've been in touch. Like, we can't, SAG-AFTRA can't organize another community of workers, but they are being very active and kind of just sharing their insight. I mean, I think it's up to it's up to developers to kind of organize themselves, but as far as a, another union providing wisdom mm-hmm. and tips and kind of just being available to answer questions, I'm, I'm really proud to say that the SAG-AFTRA folks have been, have made themselves available in that way. And you, you mentioned SAG-AFTRA, like, mm-hmm. uh, and for folks who don't know, like, SAG-AFTRA Strike right. in the last like that that was two years ago now. Um, what, yeah. That was the Screen Actors Guild uh, Act uh, members going on strike, mm-hmm. and for a period there, uh, major and minor games were uh, unable to mm-hmm. hire uh, professional voice talent, and they did. Union but, voice but, talent, but yeah. union voice talent, mm-hmm. and so you had series like. Uh, uh, Life is Strange had to right. use different voice actors for one of the primary characters there. Or chose to. Or chose to, rather, yeah. I for reasons. Cho- chose, chose to, to for reasons. But yeah. chose to for reasons, presumably. But yes, chose and, to. And, uh, yeah, so, like, we, we just saw SAG after make some, like, considerable gains uh, yes. as, as a result of those negotiations. Yeah. Like, what lessons did you learn from all that? Lessons, gosh. Um... I will. I can speak less to lessons and more to opportunities. I think. Yeah, because I mean, the I I can't speak to the negotiations process. You know, the negotiating committee, who are all incredibly intelligent, passionate, capable, experienced people, did incredible. You know, did did incredible work in that in that negotiation process, which was painful for everyone involved. Um, but for me, what came out of it, what happened during, was that that committee proposed a low budget agreement for the first time. Um, which was my main apprehension in joining the union in the first place actually was that the you know I had come up through indies and there was no low budget indie agreement and I didn't want to leave them behind I was like excited to work on AAA games and you know the scope and kind of at the time you know more performance capture was possible in that at that level of work Um, so I was thrilled about that but I didn't want to leave indies behind Um, so suddenly offering a low budget agreement I kind of took it and uh, it was not my idea I mean I'd been wanting one forever but they proposed it give them credit but I like seized on it like a dog with a bone and I was like all right I'm going to make this as usable as possible um, so I put it all, as many of my indie friends in touch um, with reps and had them look at the drafts and it evolved quite a bit with independent developer feedback and so this was like this it just it was such a different process I'm not I'm not a very big I'm not very good in conflict I'm pretty conflict diverse <laughs> like I don't I'm not a warrior I'm a I'm an ambassador I'm a friend you are a warrior in some games yeah I, I know that's the thing is I save it for isn't that funny yeah. I save it for games I, in, in life I'm like a goofy huggy you know whatever <laughs> it's funny my, my director on um, or my creative director on For Honor talked about the sort of say, yeah. strangeness of that shift he's like you're this strange 
pixie person and that you know for one second and then literally in the next year this like monster throated like monster stomping huge like person. vikings to death <laughs> exactly. with your boots yeah so i think there's something in me i'm sure there's a psychological read here that says that's i feel permission to be that person in that space and not anywhere else probably exactly. whatever that's fine it works for me i enjoy it a lot um because i don't like feeling angry or mad or, or fighty in life mm-hmm. it doesn't feel good to me um so this other contract provided this very like gooey happy <laughs> like <laughs> positive kind of counterpoint to that other way of, of hammering this stuff out um which has you know precedent and reasons for being a negotiation the way it is but like the indie contract was just a proposal that got changed as where two people brought their their needs, um, you know, together to kind of find a compromise. It included, um, you know, a piece that the that the full budget agreement had won or that they'd wanted in the full budget negotiation, which is contingent compensation um, in the low budget agreement. But it's flexible and, and, you know, you can talk to the reps about it to figure out what how what that means to you. It's not like a hard set thing. Um, and so those all the pieces, pretty much, I think every piece of that contract got ch- shifted and changed with um, developer feedback, but very much represents what the actors want and feel is necessary to do good work and um so i'm really proud of that so like the out of that strike came this other way of or, or maybe not other way but other other contract that was reflective of the happy positive relationships that these two communities can have it's yeah. not all fighting you know i mean actors are excited to work on experimental ambitious work developers indie devs you know are excited to work with really high ta- you know high quality talented actors experienced actors and we can talk to each other and find a solution to to both of our needs in this process so that to me, and then that kind of bore out. I, honestly, I feel like I, I shouldn't speak to this because it's for someone else probably to confirm. But like, what what it looks like to me um, is that the unions' relationships are stronger than ever with with both AAA developers and other. There's new kinds of contracts coming out. There's new major you know folks are signing to it. Major folks in the AAA space that weren't signed to the union before are signing to it and experiencing kind of fun, efficient, playful sessions with like really talented actors and seeing you know why it's worth going that way um so the opportunity to me was to to raise the issue of labor concerns and and i feel like a lot of the shift in the games community the development community around unionization came out of that being a topic of discussion with the actors strike so the actors strike went however it was but it made people think about labor um unions it made them think about how to advocate for yourself as a worker base I think it just raised the topic and then in, in one way, and now game developers are kind of talking about it for themselves in a slightly different way, it feels like to me, a year later. Um, and and then, yeah, and then also these new contracts and new relationships that are super positive, actually. So It's funny to me, like, the the issue of unionization, or at least emboldening the, the strength of workers in the game industry, is such a universal problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's... that's Part of the reason why GW has been able to like quadruple their their presence here in an event like this is because yeah. people. I'm going to one of their talks later today. That yeah. line, I'll I'm trying to be there stand, tomorrow morning. I'll probably have to stand in line. That's uh, great for an hour. I you hope. Know? I'm sorry. And, I don't hope so, but I hope so. I hear, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, and and uh, but like the the solutions to those problems yes. end up becoming really compartmentalized. Mm. Here's what works over here in our sector. Here's what works over here in our sure. sector. Like these two sectors don't have an adversarial relationship, mm. but they both have to come at it from different angles for different reasons. Reasons. Sure. And hearing you talk about like just how new contracts written up, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, intermingling between communities and pulling business pe- like wants yeah. and needs from both sides, strategically is really fascinating. Yeah. Uh, so I guess let's let's roll a little bit into uh, more straightforward voice acting talk. Sure. Uh, if you want to. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I forget if I mentioned this already. I oh. just replayed Gone Home. Yeah. And uh, uh, that. 
that game lives and breathes on both its environmental storytelling and mm-hmm. the voice acting. And obviously, Katie plays a smaller role than mm-hmm. Sam, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I did do a lot of scratch voiceover for Sam, so did I had you? kind of a preview on her who she was, and I fell and in scr- love with her. Scratch like the like, temporary, temporary like placeholder kind mm-hmm. of line reading. Yeah. Uh, my my partner and I uh, just discovered the like secret Easter egg where you you put the uh, purple basketball in yeah. the hoop and it's meow 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 yeah. meow 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 meow. Yeah. But, like still like really sad. But so tell me tell me like where you got your start in voice acting. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of st- like professional start uh, or like love start? I love start. Yeah, love love stories are always great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, love start. Everyone loves a love story. Um, love start would have been, I mean, revelation would have been like Mark Hamill doing Rip Burger in Full Throttle. Okay, that was like that's what a voice actor is. It's someone who sounds totally different than yeah. what they look like and that blew my mind I was a huge Star Wars fan I knew Luke and whatever and then I was like this is what happened to my baby <laughs> like Luke is all scary now um, so that blew my mind or like with Joker uh, yeah playing or Joker, Joker right like, holy shit that's, that's it's amazing. Skywalker it blew yeah. my mind I was like that's extraordinary and then I mean I, I loved all the LucasArts adventure games and the voiceover in them is extremely good there's this like narrative and, and you know it's true in, in some ways of like game voiceover being bad and then getting better and being pretty good now mm-hmm. um, but there are also these incredible exceptions going back to the 90s of like LucasArts Adventure Games had extremely high quality like world class voiceover they're just straight up great sorry like it's not like no one knew how to do this like Chris Brown knew how to do this Chris Brown who I was overjoyed to work with on For Honor um, was part of the LucasArts team and has been working with Tim Schafer for 20 years and whatever so so those games kind of like started me thinking about who these people or just that this was a thing that one was able to do with with your voice and then I think Knights of the Old Republic was the first time I really pictured someone making a living this way or, or, or just having this job. You know, Jennifer Hale in that game, mm-hmm. just like, I was like, someone goes to a booth somewhere and says words for a living and then you get a game. <laughs> like, I just like, it was kind of like, I was starting to put the pieces together and imagine a practice and like a, a life that way. Mm-hmm. And then I think um, doing radio dramas in college was when I, I first, I was like, oh my God, I'm voicing all these things that I don't look like and would never get cast for, which is true of For Honor. It's mm-hmm. true of lots of things that I, I play. Um, and so that was was heaven just kind of like realizing that there's this little bottleneck you only have this one piece of your instrument to kind of send everything through but that again coming down to resolution like the human voice is such high res info you know it's so if you have a thought you'll hear it on the microphone if you have a feeling if you're tired if you're anything the tiniest subtlety is is reflected in your voice on the microphone so just the richness of that um, and the practice of kind of driving it through just this one little piece your, through your voice and the, and the joy and the freedom of playing all these different things was when that kind of started to click together. And then as I was experimenting with other kinds of work in, in New York that I had a background in, like I said, theater and everything, and discovering the audition, the audition process for voiceover was so much more fun. Mm-hmm. Eventually that was when it all clicked together and I went to PAX East for the first time in 2010, nice. first PAX East, um, and started really pounding you know boots on the ground and coming to conferences, as I said. And it's funny you mentioned like Kodor, uh, mm. that the bio yeah. And uh, now, first off, how does it feel to go like from playing Kodor and like having the, right. epif- the epiphany moment to you're now one half of like the 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 player character representation in a game like Anthem? I don't know how it feels. <laughs> I'm like extremely in tune with my own emotions, and this one is too big. It's yeah. like it's too big of a concept to fit. I keep like the elephant. I keep trying to bite on it and it doesn't fit down my throat like this I don't get elephant, it man. this poor elephant the elephant of me being the 
player character in a Bioware game is too big of an elephant for my body to contain. Oh, like, boy. I just don't. You know how, like, snakes will lie next to people? Like, people have to give away their pet snakes when they start to notice them lying next to them because the snake is testing if they can eat them. Oh, no. Like, lengthwise. That makes sense, though. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's like, like, the snake of my of that idea is, like, <laughs> like, like we're not compatible yet. So, like, I'm going to keep working on it. I'm going to keep working on really absorbing that and enjoying it, even. Mm-hmm. Um, for the last few years of working on it, which has been such a pleasure to even work on something for that long and kind of stay with it and grow with it for that long. Um, I've just been like, here's my fangirl. She's freaking out in this closet. Let's close that closet door. Let's be a professional here's voice actor. you badass freelancer. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that, I don't know how it feels. I think it feels good. <laughs> I think it feels really good. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's, been, it's been on my mind ever since I, like, arranged this interview is uh, Anthem is one, one of these, you know, major games as a service game. Yeah. It's meant to exist for uh, at least a number of years beyond its release window. Yeah. And, uh, you Do know, we call it GAS? GAS. GAS. acronym. I know. That's really weird. I never remember it. I never like writing it. Yeah. But that also changes the way that like, you know, story writers and the actors that they, you know, bring into a project have to tackle something. So I feel like I remember in researching for this, I think I remember seeing you talking about... Uh, you know, what was it like to, to voice act for Anthem? And it's a different kind of story and yeah. project than a straightforward gone home narrative or mm. something like that. Uh, what, what, what was that like? And like the, the it's a, almost a nonlinear narrative, mm-hmm. right? Sort of. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's got like a big trunk in the middle and then there's choice components and things yeah. like that. And it does cover like a, a range. I mean, for a char- from my perspective as the, as the lead character, it just covers quite a lot of moods and things. Um, colors so it, it becomes very difficult harder for me maybe at the end of the year I'll finally be able to characterize my own you know character mm-hmm. <laughs> a little more concretely um, so the question is with what's what's unique about this characterization or like what's with, with a with a game that like is gonna have a lifespan ah, for, yeah. a, for a much longer time instead right. of a single project where yeah. like you've submitted your lines you right. move on to the next thing how that that must be really different right. well that's also a revelation that was something I hadn't like really absorbed yet that was an elephant I was having a hard time chewing on because of like oh the game is done but we continue we oh my continue. god we continue um, yeah it's uh, I look forward to it I really look forward to it actually I think that like the case the game has come out people have opinions about it people have opinions mm-hmm. about it um, but whatever that whatever we do from here it will be just people who are still around people who like it mm-hmm. so it's like it's a huge game and it's you know lots of people are messing around in it and, and whatever but like it'll feel kind of cozy like <laughs> like more content is for people who liked what we were you know, throwing down the first time. So um, I think that'll be kind of sweet. Like, I I look forward to it. It feels like a very, like, generous, intimate, same same wavelength audience to kind of work work for. Um, So that character will probably... I look forward to how she's going to grow and change as the story continues to, to... to evolve and mm. um, and that being real time and having and then again like the audience almost part of that conversation um, in the sense that we're all we can all see each other we're allowed to talk you know not yeah. talk to each other but like we're all allowed to react and experience the same thing at the same time which is kind of wild I'm excited it's going to be completely new from anything I've ever done um, and I think it's going to be really fun I think and uh, I assume you've got to be a pretty big Bioware fan yourself oh yeah yeah, like, yeah. Like, play all the Mass Effects and yeah all that. yeah so yeah. people talk a lot about like how Bioware has changed uh, mm. both in their writing and their gameplay. And uh, like, do, do you have any thoughts on that and just like where they've kind of gone as a company? Hmm. 
Um, let me see. The kinds of stories that they are they seem to be telling. Uh, Mass Effect Andromeda was like a pretty mm-hmm. big departure, mm-hmm. uh, and and Anthem by the existence of mm-hmm. games as a service, you know, mm-hmm. it's telling a very different story that maybe right. old school Bioware fans might not be uh, uh, familiar with. You know, I think I don't want to encapsulate Anthem in a way that the Bioware team sees it as more expansive than what I'm about to say. Sure. So I'm going to be careful with that. But I think that. Um, I will say that I remember playing Mass Effect 3 and being like, I hope I can say this, I was kind of resentful that I had to like go dabble in the multiplayer to get Mm. good content for the single player campaign. I was like, ugh, what? I don't want to go do that. And then I went and did it and I had an amazing time. Like I loved the multiplayer component in 3. I found it revelatory. Like I was like, look, I did not, I had been playing this game, you know, three, three of these games for whatever, 10 years or something or look, whatever, a long time. And I had not, because of the, the way that the, the information was surfaced to me or the difficulty or something, I hadn't paid attention to the underlying combo system, um, in all that time. And so playing the multiplayer, I was like, Oh my God, the co-, like I would not have talked about mass effect as having great combat until I got in the multiplayer. And I was like, it totally has fun combat. I'm having a great time. Um, and it's, and I loved the co-op component to it. So, when, I, when, when we sat down to talk about Anthem and figure out what it was when, I, when we first started recording, I was really compelled by the idea that it would be like perhaps a complementary or an inverse of that where you have this like where you have story like where basically where Mass Effect 3 was like this you know single player RPG and then a, a multiplayer component kind of like there and then that this was kind of a, an inverted or kind of a further investigation of that idea of like how to marry those things together um, and have them complement each other. So I mean I think it, I'll, I'd probably leave it to someone else to analyze that or, or post-mortem that yeah. you know um but i remember finding it a really compelling idea so we'll we'll see and, I, and again like i i'm i know the writers are really excited to write for an evolving world and for and to be able to implement things um as they go and not have to wait for dlc packs to you know to or, or wait on this other timeline this older timeline um to to throw new characters and new stories and new stuff in there so um i don't know i um, it's nothing i can speak to yet but like the, the world changing and, and every piece of it or most many pieces of it being changeable or added to added to a bowl <laughs> yeah. um, is uh, I'm intrigued I'm excited we'll, uh, we'll wrap up with I, I definitely want to ask you about like uh, you know Codename Cygnus yeah. which awesome I played that on like I think like my Amazon Echo or whatever I love that uh, and there I, I wrote an uh, article for Waypoints uh, oh. about maybe two years ago uh, about like the wave of ah. n- the new wave yeah. of audio only games on yeah. stuff like Amazon and mm-hmm. uh, you know how different of an experience is that like being mm. a, and like is it is it fun to kind of emulate the old school radio drama oh, style yeah. yeah oh my god yeah 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 you're gonna love Klaxo <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna enjoy Klaxo um, the Klaxo radio hour um, yeah I, I well radio drama is my is my it feels like my first major love I mean games are my first love before that but radio drama performing wise was like a huge big early love for me so um, I'm thrilled that dramatized podcasts are like a huge thing now I mean when I was as I was coming up it was like Night Vale kind of kicked off I mean welcome to Night Vale mm-hmm. kicked off this whole um, renaissance of, of dramatized audio only storytelling um, and so any time and every time that interaction interactivity kind of comes into that conversation and you have interactive choicey radio drama stuff I, I'm over the moon so working with earplay has been um, such a joy and especially again because Dave Grossman you know affiliated with Monkey Island one of my favorite series ever um, so yeah so it's I don't know I'm, I'm overjoyed that that's a thing that it's like a popular thing and um, and I love earplay so I hope I keep doing that and radio drama I've, I've been really lucky to stay doing some radio drama I know a um a very uh wonderful uh producer out of New York who's British 
but she lives in New York. And so I got a chance to work on two different games-themed radio dramas for her. Um, one was called Drone Pilots, where I was like, I think a large reason that I was cast actually was because I had a games background and could kind of like tune their voice or change their dialogue to make it sound a little more authentic. Um, so yeah, that was called Drone Pilots, where I played like a gamer who becomes a drone pilot for the U.S., you know. Right. Wow. Yeah, it was intense. It was very intense. It was not like a lighthearted. Yeah. No, no, no. That was like intense. Weird. Very intense. Um, very fun. But, um, um, ensemble recorded. And then the same, she actually came back to me and wanted to develop another radio drama, more even even more about games. And so I, I was thrilled to, to suggest writers and, and actors to her. And so um, she worked closely. Well, she worked with Emily Short, um, who wrote this radio drama um, set you know, about an indie developer who was played by me, um, trying to navigate this, it, you, you might call it a serious game or a game for change or something um, that had some kind of surprising tensions and, and obstacles in her way. And she was like a, a wonderful prickly character um, who like you sympathize with for her vision and her passion and her and the biases that she's facing. But also she's a little, she's not a perfect human so that was really really fun too and I wish I don't know when that'll be available again that was called Game Over mm-hmm. um, both of those for the BBC BBC Radio 4 which has a huge listening audience I mean a few, mil- a few million I don't know if it's like one or a few a handful of million it's like, it's like, like podcasts blew mm-hmm. up and so it feels like it re- also reinvigorated exactly. the, the love of radio drama oh, exactly. in a bigger wider audience yeah, yeah. totally um, but yeah so I will keep doing radio drama as long as people ask me to do that for sure hell yeah mm-hmm. and so uh, yeah we, you're obviously going to be uh, keeping an eye on anthem and uh, <laughs> yeah keeping an eye and a hand keep, i hope and, yeah, <laughs> i hope <laughs> uh, and, and hopefully yeah hopefully working along with ea there and uh mm-hmm. game dev.world is in the near future yeah. uh when is a uh, game dev.world june 21st through 23rd and actually we are still i don't know when when is your podcast going live this will be monday 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 might be the last day to submit oh, um boy. yeah so if you're listening to, if you're one of the like couple hundred people who like download Yay. this at 6 a.m. when I post it. Right. Yeah. Please. And if you have friends, especially friends who speak in, you know, whose native language is any of those, um, any of those eight that you can find on the website, um, it, and they're a game developer and you think they have something special to share with people, like please encourage them to submit to, um, because we need submissions from everybody. Um, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And yeah, uh, anything else you're looking forward to uh, in the coming months? Yeah, I um, I, I wasn't sure how public this was going to be, but I guess it is pretty public now as I um, uh, as was part of the Nintendo Direct presentation yesterday. Okay. Um, is this game that I'm working on, I'm actually kind of vo- I'm voice directing for them and I kind of help them get set up and cast and, and etc. Um, for Timberline Studio, it's called Red Lantern. Um, it stars Ashley Birch. It's kind of, um, it's going to be mostly her. She's going to be talking. Awesome. Yeah, and so it's, it's a, like a survival roguelike-ish element. Thing. I loved the uh, the uh, Hey Ash, what you playing video you did with her oh, yeah. a, a while back. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, she's Johnny Depp, and you're yes. just like some poor Tinder date. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I did too. I've been Ash, Ash's date, and I've been her wife, and then ex-wife in another one. Oh was, my God. Yeah, it's great. I love it. Ashley Birch, my darling. So, so that's called Red Lantern. <laughs> yeah, it's called Red Lantern, and it's um, it's basically a, a young woman who is kind of struggling to assert or discover her own identity and kind of um, has maybe experienced some failure in her life up until this point, decides that she wants to go out to Alaska and race in the Iditarod um, dog sled race um, as, as a way of kind of achieving something. Um, and she may or may not, you know get to the race itself as far as just surviving in Alaska with your okay. dogs. Okay. So it's a dog sledding game. It's deeply procedural. There's going to be, I think, a, you know, I, I shouldn't, I, I actually don't know numbers, so I can't tell you, but like lots and lots of instances of, of contextual of games events and narrative events. Um, you're going to be hanging out with Ashley, talking to her dogs, probably going a little nutty, um, you know. Um, so we're going to be, we're going to keep recording that. 
um, that that'll be that'll be the next few months. That's that's awesome. That sounds like right up my alley. Awesome. Uh, like, I, me too. I'm we, excited. Weird narrative so like that. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Sarah, uh, for joining us. And folks, every Monday you can find a new episode of the 1099. This has been uh, our week, uh, pretty chock full of GDC content. So thanks for tuning in. And Sarah, thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having me.